Welcome to The Clean Truth, where we like to call bullshit on the status quo. What's up? Welcome back to The Clean Truth. I'm Don. I'm your host. This week's ball busting. Dude, I gotta beat you up about them shoes. Can we retire the Smurf shoes? Because they're bright? They're girl's shoes. They're just bright. I've never met a man who can deadlift 600 pounds but wears girl's shoes every day. Tiffany blue, baby. <laughs> Maybe that's where the power comes from. It all, all starts in the bottom. The Smurf blue. All right, we got a cool show today. Before we get into that, the weekly clean truth. I got a, I got a pretty good one. Um, I'm going to introduce you, Scott, real quick, and then because I'm going to bring you into this. I figured since we were talking to you, I kind of did this on the last episode, the, the weekly clean truth that we always do. I try to figure out a way to tie it in to, to, to you guys and let you kind of help us answer it. So we have Scott Volkortzen on the show today, um, owner of Volkortzen Firearms. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Good. Doing good. So every week we try to do a clean truth, and it's just, um, you know, we used to do a truth or dare, but I'm just going to be completely 100% transparent. Ben and I suck at doing the dares. I think there's still a dare sitting out there that we have to do, like, what, a, a burpee for time or something? Something like that. And we just got lazy and didn't do it. It's just, there's no excuse. We just didn't do it. So instead of doing the dares, we just moved it to where we were just letting people send in questions on anything from training to business, lifestyle, fitness, anything really um, related to our brand. And so this was a good one. Um, a guy messaged me the other day when I put this out and said that he owns a small business. He wants to take it to the next level, but doesn't know where to start. Like actually like what would be my, my first step? Um, I, I have two answers for this, Scott, but I'll let you go first. I'll let you kind of give your, your two cents on this. I think for us, like the biggest thing was to start hiring even before you're ready, hiring the right people. Because for us, we, originally we were trying to do everything, which ultimately led to us doing none of it very well. Like, you know, obviously we were okay on the product side and that part of it, but our customers, customer support failed. We weren't as organized as we should be. Our inventory was atrocious. And I think the biggest mistake we made is we told ourselves we were the only ones that could do what we were doing. And once we started hiring people specific to those roles, we found out they did it better than we did. And then it allowed us to focus on what we could do best. I Fant agree. Fantastic answer. That was actually one of the two of my answers was one of them was invest in your people, hire people before you need it. Um, and just t and take care of your employees and they'll, they'll, they'll build your business almost instinctively. Um, and then the second one was go get some coaching. You know, I mean, I think that, you know, you and I are actually in, in, a, in a similar coaching group. And I think people are a little misled to think that, you know, they're either they're embarrassed or, you know, they don't have the the courage or the self-esteem to realize that a business coach would help. I mean, Yvonne and I have used one since we started, before we started. You know, we, we had a life coach that we still use. Um, and we've experimented around and used different ones. And I wish that's something I would have started sooner. But we always told ourselves that, and I think a lot of people do this, that our business is different. What's a business coach can be able to tell us about our business? You know, we were a family business. Sure. We're in the firearms business. It's all stuff that's different. But the more that I've gotten into the coaching, it's all the same no matter what industry you're in. Absolutely. No doubt. So, yeah, I would say that's probably the biggest, I don't want to say regret, but like if I could do some, one thing earlier, it'd be to start asking questions and getting coaching. Sure. Both And like you said, both for life coaching and business, because I think there's so many parallels that go along with that. No, yeah, I agree. We, uh, therefore, I would say the probably the first 10 years in business, our life coach was our business coach. We never, literally, we didn't make a major business decision without consulting her first. And then we got to a point where it was like, okay, she'll get mad at me for saying this. I don't want to say that we outgrew her, but like some of the business stuff, Hers well, just turned into more life. Yeah, in it's more a little personal stuff, you yeah. know, personal things with Yvonne and I that she we still we she's still our coach. She, we still use her on a monthly basis, um, but we've since kind of 
ran around and and, tr- and tried and, and used different business coaches, both locally and outside, you know, all over the country, you know. And we made the decision to join the Arite Syndicate, you know, earlier this year, which was something we had thought about doing in the past, you know. And, and I've known Andy for years. I grew up with them in St. Louis. Um, and, you know, we were like, will we get anything out of it? Is Are we, you know, and ultimately, I mean, it's been great. You know what I mean? And I think that groups like that help small businesses, whereas I think they, they often get overlooked. And I would agree. And I think a lot of times, like those, a lot of the coaching advice that you'll get is it's stuff that you may have already know that you know, or you've read or heard, Yep. but like, it gives you like that validation that you're doing it right. This stuff really, this stuff really does work if you take action and implement it. Yep. I think one of the things that Yvonne and I have noticed and we talked about this last night because we actually had a coaching call last night, was that sometimes some of the coaching advice that you get, it's almost like affirmations that sometimes you're not always doing things wrong. You might just be second-guessing yourself. You know, you're thinking, am I doing this right? I need some advice, you know. Or, or, and then you come to find out, you go get this coaching, and it does. It affirms some of the things that you're already doing or doing right or It'll kind of smack you in the face and say, yeah, you're doing these things, but you could be doing them better if you would just do this or whatever this is. You know what I'm saying? And I think sometimes, too, even if you know it, the fact that you're paying money to somebody else to tell you that makes you take action a little bit more. You know, it's kind of like hiring a nutrition coach or a physical. You can go online and learn a lot of the stuff. But if you're paying somebody on a monthly basis, you're like, well, damn, now I really need to do it because (laughs) otherwise I'm wasting my money. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Well, cool. Um, I'm going to reintroduce you, Scott Volkortsen, Volkortsen Firearms. Guys, this episode for me is going to, it's it's kind of cool for me because firearms is a passion of mine. I like to shoot. I like to hunt. And Ben and I met Scott at Winter Strong. That was in February, right? Yep. I was get the map screwed up. Um, and we were honored and got the the privilege to shoot a lot of your guns there at the event which was super cool and um I, I hope we can talk about that later like some of the guns that you had there they're some of the coolest guns i've ever had my hand in my hands you know what i'm saying a lot, so, of, a lot of adjectives that you could throw behind yeah <laughs> well let, let's start out by you know a lot of our listeners aren't you know some are firearms fans some aren't and some are very uneducated on the topic so talk about volkorts and firearms your brand and and the history behind it before we get too car- too carried away. Okay. Yeah, we're a it was a business my dad actually started and we've been around for over 40 years. But he was sort of a one-man shop through the 80s and 90s. And then in the mid 2000s my brother and I took over and we were trying to scale it and grow it from there. But what we specialize in and we have for a long time is just uh what are considered rim fires. So like smaller caliber stuff like 22s, 17s, 22 mag stuff like that and it's allowed us to become very focused and dialed in on that niche and it's one of the most common questions we'll get when we go somewhere is when are you guys going to start doing something a little larger caliber and we have stuff designed stuff that we want to release but we keep getting further and further behind with what we're doing even as we increase capacity but sort of our claim to fame is you know a lot of people make a 22 and they sell for a couple hundred dollars. We take it and build it like we were building a precision centerfire rifle. So the barrels we get come into us from Germany. We do all of the other machining in-house. And basically the way we do it is always overkill. You know, we'll get a lot of guys that say, you can do it this way, you can do it that way. It'd be a lot faster, a lot cheaper. But one thing we've learned is every time we've gone down that road, it was faster, it was cheaper, but there was a sacrifice somewhere in quality. So that's part of the reason sometimes our growth is a little bit slower is because we are so finicky in the products that we'll put out. But then, so like, and what people do with our firearms, for those that aren't quite as educated, is we build a lot for competition target shooters. And then there's also like a lot of small game hunters that'll use like the 17s and the 22 mags and different stuff like that. And the nice thing about it, for those that aren't familiar with firearms, is it's very low recoil, very minimal sound. So 
you can, whether you're a experienced shooter or the first time shooter, you, it allows you to learn and train without all the recoil and sound that comes with a larger caliber. Agreed. Um, I was thinking about something while you were saying that. Um, thinking about shooting a gun. I was. I was thinking about learning <laughs> strong. Um, one of the things that you said, and this is this is honestly what I was thinking. You said that your growth has been a little slower than you anticipated, and I can relate to that. And the the reason that I relate and I respect it so much is because, and I, I've recently found myself talking about this more and more. Which I don't know if this is the universe's way of telling me that I need to do something with this, but one of the biggest things that I have been telling people, if they, if they say, well, what is your best advice? What, what's the best advice you can give somebody is don't ever under any circumstances, no matter what you do, bend on your integrity. If you're a business owner. And I think that is the number one reason why Yvonne and I are still sitting where we're sitting and doing what we're doing and have been fortunate enough to do the things that we're doing because we've had many people come along and do the same thing that you said. Well, you can cut this corner, you can do this different, or you should be doing this, or you know, you need to act this way and do things this way. And we have just absolutely gone against the grain and refused to do it. And we've done it. In our short own way. term, it looks attractive when you're looking at just a balance sheet or sure. you know, when you look at it just from that direction. But at least from what we found, anytime we ever tried it, it ended up ironically actually ended up costing us more money because we'd yep. end up having to replace the parts we put out that weren't as good then you know put a value on what it did to your reputation or your brand oh absolutely we went through it too we've used advisors and different people who've cost us millions you know in the, in the long run it will end up costing us millions you know and things like that had we you know gone a different way i don't know but ever since then you know, we've just, we've stuck to our guns. We do things a little bit differently and it raises some eyebrows sometimes, you know, even this podcast and kind of my demeanor on this podcast, I'll tell you a quick story, Scott, and then we'll get back to what we were talking about. We uh, lost a potential franchise candidate last week. This is no joke. I'm not kidding. The guy was offended. He listened to a couple of these episodes and, and he was offended by a couple of episodes that he listened to where Yvonne and I were both on here and we used, we dropped some F-bombs. Uh. Wow. And so the franchise broker that was working with this guy was like upset about it and was like, they got mad at us. And I'm like, man, that's just who we are. Like if that offended them, they're in the wrong culture, the wrong business. They, you know, they wouldn't be a good fit for us anyway. Right. So I don't know. Integrity. That's kind of what I was going to do. Yeah, and I listened to your guys' podcast where you were talking about what you need to prep. Mm -hmm. And listening to you and her go back and forth, I was dying. I was driving in my truck, and I was dying laughing listening to you guys go back and forth. <laughs> and I'm like, that's what I loved about the podcast was it was real. It sounded like my wife and I driving down the highway. Yeah, pretty much. That's what it's like in the office, Scott. It's it's <laughs> it, it is very real. It's not scripted like some people think. We plot them fights out. Like I've gotten pretty pissed off at her here, and I'm she like, could, if you're just gonna sit here and argue with me, just get the hell out of here. Friday, <laughs> Friday roll into the office at like Friday about ten forty five. Marketing meeting has finally got oh, the, got the, the juices worst. going, and one of one of the other is ready to move on to the next topic, and then just the train starts colliding. That's when you need to be able to fly on the wall. Uh, let's talk about the shooting team. I think that's always been intriguing to me and I've never had the opportunity to ask questions about it. So it's relatively new for us too. We got into it probably about eight to 10 years ago where we finally started sponsoring shooters and doing different things that way. And for us, it be, we build it a little bit differently than most people do. A lot of companies will go out, they want to find out who's winning and then they just, because there's a lot of times there's not a lot of money in the, for the competitors. So it's pretty easy if you want to go out and try to poach somebody from another team with not a lot of costs involved, but that's not what we wanted to do. And we weren't even necessarily, I mean, obviously we wanted people to win because we're competitive people, but we wanted to build it from the ground up with people that were represented representatives of our company that if they were out on the range 
and they didn't know it, but when I would go watch them, I'd always watch how are they going to react when a stage doesn't go their way. Sure. Because it's easy when you're winning or when everything's clicking the way it's supposed to be. But it really shows their true colors when they may have a jam or something went wrong or they, even they just got beat. And there was a couple people. And with the Rimfires, we started with a lot of younger kids. And there was a couple kids who were plenty good shooters that we would have signed. But after a bad stage, they'd be sitting on a table or not talking to anybody, pouting. And I'm like, if they're going to represent our company. It's to be honest, they do more representation in between when they're shooting, when they're standing, talking to other shooters than they do at the firing line. Yeah. Fellowship. Yeah. So we, you know, and I think down there, you guys were able to meet Colby, who is mm-hmm. a yeah. very accomplished shooter. He's won, I think four world championships. But the one thing I would, cause he's a fairly young kid. I think he's only 21 years old. What I was proud of him down at winter strong is he wasn't making it about how well he could shoot, how fast he could go, how much he knew he was trying to meet. Cause we had some people that had never fired a gun down there. Yeah. He was trying to meet them at their level of, okay, how familiar are you with this? Let's start there. Yeah. He's being a good teacher. Yeah. Because a lot of times, like if, if he just stood up there and showed how fast he could go, that's not relatable to a lot of people and especially new shooters. So I thought he did a very good job. That's kind of the people that we try to grow are those shooters. And we've been very fortunate. We have a great team. They're young kids, but like in the rimfire world over the last probably four or five years, every record, every championship that's been won has been won with our stuff, which is something we're really proud of. That's awesome. But, but like the way Colby behaved down at winter strong or not behave, but the way he carried himself down at winter strong, maybe more proud than any title he's going to win at a competition. Sure. Really cool. I think that's, man, it's, it's, it's kind of scary. Some of the s- similar mindsets that you've been talking about that we're, we use the same mindset in that too. So like we're in the meal prep business, you know, 10 years ago, meal prep companies didn't exist. Now you can get online, throw a tennis ball and hit nine of them in about 20 seconds. And, it would be very easy for us to go online and start grabbing influencers and throw a discount code out there and let them go to town. But we've just absolutely refused to do it, you know, and and supplement companies are able to do that. Not, I don't mean just like that, but they're able to build like an influencer based system and do it well. One, because of margin, um, two, because of the size of the companies they can build. But, you know, in food, there's very low margins in food, so it's hard for us to go out and, and pay these guys, you know, what they're worth, really, because some of these guys, you know, their influence is worth a lot of money. Um, but we just – we haven't done that, and it was just one of those things where we never really felt comfortable going after Instagram celebrities to try to push our product. We would rather do it with people, like you said, who started with the company or started with the brand. They – actually use the product they they live it they love it and things like that so that's pretty cool and we've used a couple quote-unquote influencers but not in the same sense that like a lot of companies do the only way we'll do it is if we get to know them and we hang out with them outside of what people see just on social media because like like you we feel that if you know we're a relatively small business we can't go out and pay them what a large supplement company is going to sure and we tell them that up front you know but we'll help support them and a lot of times once we get to know them we hang out we bring them to trade shows they're willing to help us out without it just being all about a transaction how much can we pay them and we had to learn that lesson the hard way there were a couple people we worked with that that's all it was was a transaction and like at a trade show, if they weren't on the clock for their appearance with you, you wouldn't see them. And if you saw, even if you met them in passing, it was almost like they forgot who you were. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a good learning lesson for us because we learned that, okay, that's, that's the business side of it. That's what they're, you know, and that's what we pay them for. So I can't complain. But then we've worked with some other influencers that whether we have them doing an appearance or whatever, they'll go go out of their way. They'll do whatever they have to do to stop by and say hi. And they, I mean, 
it's no accident that we have much better luck working with them than we do just the quote or the straight transactional person. Sure. Well, let's talk long range for a minute. This is, you know, <laughs> this has become a new fetish of mine, new hobby for me. Um, still very, very new. And I get the, the question I have here in my notes that I wanted to ask is, would you advise somebody to start out long range shooting using a smaller caliber like 22 or do you think it really matters? It can be done either way. The reason I would start out shooting a 22 is it's a much lower barrier to entry on a couple different fronts, not just financial, but it's a lot easier to find your 200, two or 300 yard range than it is a thousand yard range for a lot of people. Sure. But the same principles and techniques apply. Like if you're shooting a 22 at let's say 200 yards as you are like a 308 at six or 800 yards. And for, it's like anything else rep. I mean, you have to put reps in to be able to get good at it where you can go shoot a 22 and shoot several hundred rounds without much, you know, you're not going to beat your body up. You're not going to go broke doing it where you know, if you're going out to shoot 308, it may only be, you may only put 10 or 20 rounds down range and be ready for something else. Yep. And especially for somebody that's just getting into it, you know, because the 22 at that distance, you still have the same, you still got to learn like your holdovers with the scope. You got to learn how to, you know, basically perform the exact same way as long range, but you can do it in just a much easier or a much lower barrier to entry. Which is, you know, I think what we did at Winter Strong, which was so cool with working with Bert was, you know, I think we went all the way out to like 220 or 240 yards. And he had some of the best instructors I've ever been around down there helping people. But there was new shooters that had never fired a gun and were a little reluctant to even start fire, you know, to try it. That were hitting pretty small targets out to 220 yards after 15 minutes of instruction. Yeah, it was great. I think the, as I'm thinking about it, I think, like you said, the the actual mechanics and the technique and the approach, I think, is is the same. I mean, honestly, it is the same. Um, I think the only the only difference for me would be ballistics, like understanding the science of what happens to the bullet when it's fired out of the gun. That's going to be a lot different with a smaller caliber at 200 yards than it is you know, a, a 300, um, like a 300 PRC coming out the barrel of a gun going a thousand meters. I mean, understanding what happens there is, is night and day. It's completely different. Great. And like the one big thing is, especially once you get past like 220, 230 is the wind is going to affect a 22 much more, but there's still a lot of the same mechanics of being able to read the wind that if somebody's shooting out to a thousand yards, that you can carry over as you learn. Sure. You know, and you're right. Like obviously the ballistics are a little bit different, but if you look at like a lot of the drops and trajectories there, they can be pretty paralleled if you're doing it at, like I said, at 22, at, let's say 200 yards and a larger caliber at six, eight or a thousand yards. It, it's amazing how close those trajectories and ballistics mirror each other. I love it, man. I'm addicted to it. What I'm not addicted to, let's talk about price for a minute. <laughs> he mentioned that. He's, that's why he's like, yeah, Ben, go get a 22, not, a, yeah. not, not the stuff that Don has. <laughs> uh, I, wanna, I actually want to go backwards. I'm not kidding. Yeah. Like right now, I would love to uh, pick up one of your rifles and, and take it out to the farm and just, like you said, reps. That's the most important thing right there. Um, and, and that's like that with anything. But... You know, it's it's hard for me and my schedule to train with some of the guys that I'm going on this long hunt with. So I kind of do it when I can fit it in, which doesn't help, you know, just like, you know, reps. But I feel like I can get very easily, I can get a two or 300 yard shot off out at the farm. So I feel like if I could practice and get as many reps in with that with a smaller caliber rifle. You get some good carryover. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's so much, like I said, especially for new shooters, there's so much there, you know, even learning like your breathing techniques and how different things affect, you know, that part of it. 
you know, practicing your trigger release, everything, you know, it just comes down. It's like anything you put in enough reps, you get better at it. And then that'll transfer over to, you know, all sorts of different firearms. Sure. What's that saying that they say, uh, pistol, pistol mechanics carry over to carbon, but carbon mechanics don't, it doesn't go backwards. I'm screwing <laughs> that up. I think that's close. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, let's talk about some current events, man. What are your, uh, thoughts and opinions on all the two A stuff going on right now? That's a loaded question. That's a loaded question. By yeah, way. it is a loaded question, but it's, <laughs> you know, it, some of the stuff that the anti-gun crowd is proposing is downright scary. It is very, but I, I'm, my hope is the numbers vary, but right now they say there's anywhere between like nine and 10 million new gun owners. So I'm hoping that like middle America or like, you know, not extreme right or left, whatever they see that, you know, for the politicians in that middle, if they go down the road and in favor of some of these different draconian measures that they want to pass, I think they see the writing on the wall, of what could happen in 2022 during midterm elections. You know, it's happened before when they tried to pass different things and, my thing that I always argue with people is the stuff that they're proposing would do nothing to change any sort of crime or violence that we're seeing. No, it wouldn't even make a scratch. No, it's, it might make them feel better, but I always, I mean, if you watch like a competitive shooter change magazines, whether he has a 10 round magazine, a 20 round magazine or a 30 round magazine, and he decides to, commit an act of violence with it to the average person, they wouldn't even notice that he's changing magazines. Correct. Yeah. So getting rid of a 30 round mag does absolutely nothing to somebody that's trained. Hmm. Great point. And I, people don't think about that. No, (laughs) it's my hope that there's enough common sense that prevails that can, you know, prevent any of these from actually being, seeing the light of day or becoming law. And my, my real hope is he's making such a mess of everything else that they never even get to it. And they try to fix what everything else that's going on. Yeah. I don't know, man, the, 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 during COVID I took a very strategic approach on the things that I said and where I said them, how I said them. I never really backed down from my opinions per se. I was just very strategic on, on how I did that. Um, you know, some would say, well, you know, why would you do that? You know, you should just speak out and and do it to make a difference. Well, I don't have a $500 million company or 2 million, 2 million followers on social media. Like we've got 70 plus business owners who put their life savings in our hands. So I had to be very strategic on how I presented my ideas and my opinions. No matter which way anybody wants to spend that, that's just the truth. Um, and then with everything else, you know, that's kind of how I've approached it. But this particular one, I've always said, this is one that I'm not going to be quiet about. I won't shy away from any argument or opinion on this. You know, the the Second Amendment was put there for a reason. And if that one goes away, all these other all the other bullshit, it goes away. It's secondary. So this is just one that's very important to me. Um, and I know how important it is to you guys who are in the industry. Um, and I think if anything this last year has proven, you know, they would always say that, you know, people would say, okay, the second amendment's about hunting or about target shooting, whatever it was. But to me, like the last 12 to 14 months solidified what the second amendment is really about. Yep, It's about when, stuff goes down, I can protect my family, I can protect my friends, I can protect my property. Yep. And then they said, well, you know, we've heard all the arguments. I've been in this a long time. Uh, The government's never going to come for your guns. The government's never going to do this. And in my opinion, they've been so overreaching over the last, since COVID started that I think it's woken a few people that 
okay, maybe we're not as far removed from that as we thought we were. Exactly. From that possibility. Yep. Can you see my computer? I cannot. I can. You spying on me? Because the second note underneath that was the sec- that the two A has nothing to do with hunting. That was my very next note. <laughs> so now I don't even have to say it. You just said it for me. That was pretty funny. Um, do you see this ammo shortage stopping anytime soon? I have heard and talking to dealers and distributors that they're seeing more and more ammo now than ever. But the the catch twenty two on that is Pricing. when somebody sees the ammo in stock if normally they were going to buy two three four five boxes they're buying everything that they're allowed to buy well i think pricing is going to be an issue too yes and there's been a lot of price increases that have taken place over the last year that probably aren't going to i mean even if you're not paying ridiculous gun broker prices just from them at the manufacturer level there's been a lot of price increases that we're probably never going to go back from and I have a good friend. His one concern is with all these new gun owners that we have in the industry, with it being so hard to find ammo, they're not being able to get proper training. Yep. So it becomes an issue there that, you know, obviously they should be trained. They should be more comfortable with their firearm. But us as an industry, it's tough to keep them engaged when they can't find ammo or it's so expensive they can't afford ammo. Do you think, I mean, I know that COVID has played a big part in that as far as like manufacturing, you know, and, and, and actually having their employees tested and, and going through that whole rigmarole when that was going down. But what kind of long lasting effects you think that had? Because you said like, yeah, it's coming back, but the the prices and the increases, do you think that's due to them making like major changes in how this how they're producing the ammunition now at the factories? I think that's part of it. Part of what I've heard from one of the major uh, gun manufacturers is beginning of last year, our industry was pretty flat. So there was a lot of layoffs that had taken place on the larger corporate level. Then COVID hit, gun sales went crazy, but the unemployment benefits were so good, they couldn't get their employees to come back into the factory. So they had to start doing more incentivizing, you know, paying more per hour, doing whatever they could, buying more equipment. And I think all that kind of got rolled into where the price is now. And I'm sure there's some of it like anything that they know they can, they can, they can see how high they can push it and keep selling it. Like how, 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 how long can we keep making yeah. the, the dollar? Yeah. Let's see how yeah. close we can tow this line for as long as possible. I don't, bl- I don't blame them for that, though. I mean, like you said, like the, it's making people buy more. Ahead. It's making people buy more, even, and they're buying more at a higher price. So, like you said, they were definitely hit, you know, a year ago and looking for a boost, and even now fighting the employee battle. Like, it's like, man, we're finally back to like producing now and like making a good profit. So they're like, it's kind of like watching. It's like if you, the three of us all own gas stations across the street from each other. We're all going to be looking to see who goes down first. And if nobody goes down first, then we're going to keep selling it at the same price. So, yeah. Yeah. The only good thing is I've heard that there's a couple of the major manufacturers that have not been in the ammo game prior to this, that are looking at getting into it just because they look at it, that their business is selling firearms but if ammo is so expensive to shoot, that in the long run hurts them. Yep. So they're looking at trying to get more control where they can produce ammo and control the pricing. You know, so ultimately they can keep selling firearms. Whether or not that comes to fruition, I don't know. But, you know, I think it's like anything that eventually if ammo companies keep raising prices and raising, raising prices, somebody's going to come in from a competitive standpoint and take advantage of that. I agree. I would do that. I'd let them fight it out and fight it out and fight it out and then be in the shadows. Hey, guys, I'm over here. (laughs) It'll be interesting to see what happens over the next, like our next big trade show for the industry is in January. 
So I think it'll be really interesting to see what happens between now and then and where everything's sitting when we get there. I don't even want to tell you a ballpark figure. My wife listens to this, so I don't even want to. I, I can give you an educated guess, but I don't even want to do that out loud. But the amount of money that I've spent on ammunition in the last six months. You said to me, I think it was like two nights ago after work, I think you were like reorganizing some stuff and you sent me a message like, man, didn't realize I had this much ammo. (laughs) You're just kind of like, that was a little bit of a pain in the butt to move around. (laughs) Yeah, I was organizing my gun room and cleaning some stuff out and reorganizing. And then I'm like, holy There's a lot of people that are probably envious of you right now. I mean, it it ain't that much. Like, I'm not like... (laughs) Like doomsday prepper, I don't have that much, but I had more, way more than I thought I did. But I mean, I'm I'm one of those people that we were just discussing, though. Like the last, I'd say nine to ten months specifically. Man, if somebody texted me and said, "Hey, man, there's a there's a case of six five Creedmoor at X," I would either call and snatch it, or I would drive over there immediately and go grab it. It doesn't <laughs> matter. I mean, if if I could fire it, I bought it. I mean, it's just how. The- the one funny thing to me about this whole thing, especially for people that have been doing this, have been shooters for more than a decade, is we go through these cyclical phases in our industry, you know, completely outside of our control, you know, depending who's president, who, whatever political hot button issues going on. But then we have people in our industry, as well as just recreational shooters, that every time it happens, they're like, oh, my God, I never thought we'd be here. I'm like, you just said this four years ago. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at, at some point, you have to do what you're doing is where you stock up and just be. Hopefully it never comes to that, but just be yep. ready and prepared. Yep. Because this isn't going to be the last time that we probably go through something like this. Yeah, good point. It's basically it's really taught me a lesson. So like even I think when the industry bounces back and it's more readily available at the at the market prices that it's supposed to be or, you know, whatever, within reason what that is. I mean, within reason, you know, I'll, I'll keep buying it the way that I have, not maybe not as extreme, but, you know, a couple times a month, I'll go and buy certain calibers and just sit on them so that I have them. I mean, I think that's a lot of guys have been doing that for years and years and years. Yeah. And it, and it's funny because I've talked to some of them recently that have accumulated quite a collection. So what they'll do during these times, they actually go sell it. Yeah make a bunch of money. And then when the prices come back to whatever reasonable is at that time, they replenish their stock, buy it all up again, just to be prepared. And if needed, you know, next time they'll sell it again and, you know, it basically funds their entire habit. <laughs> yeah. I could see that. I've been one of those guys that's bought a couple thousand rounds from a couple guys like that. Yep. They've been sitting on the stuff for two years, three years. So. And for us, it, the downside is, is us as a manufacturer is when you go through these ammo shortages, you'll have a guy that'll call and say, I'm having an issue with a rifle or a pistol I bought from you. I'll be like, what are you shooting? And they'll throw out a type of ammo that I've never even heard of that they found or they had oh, like yeah. sitting in their basement for 30 from 30 years ago that they dug out and they want to shoot and they can't figure out why it's not performing the way they thought it should. And it's funny because it happens every time you go through these ammo shortages of all of a sudden and they'll send me like a picture of the box of ammo. I'm like, they haven't made use that marketing on that box since I was like five years old. Yeah. Yeah. It's growing weeds on it. Yeah. We had that problem with the the rifle. We had that problem at the farm the day that everybody came out and was shooting that 22, the Bagar rifle that I have. Yeah. I have, I've had a box of federal 22 ammo. I've had it for ever two years and it's just cheap. like you can pick a handful of rounds up in your hand and shake them and you can tell it's cheap ammo you know what i mean like when the when the casing is loose from the actual you know projectile and you can move it around and stuff and i'm like oh there's a bad one <laughs> <laughs> but and i uh, always laugh too because guys take their centerfire ammo storage like really serious they'll have it in a climate controlled room you know, labeled all this stuff like it's, you know, they treat it like it's gold. And then I'll ask them what kind of 22s were they shooting? Oh, I don't know. I throw them all in this box over here. You know, they'll take out like an old coffee tin. But then they'll, 
they can't figure out why it's not functioning or working the way it should. Sure. And I'm like, how long have you had that tin of ammo in your basement <laughs> huh. collecting humidity? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, let's talk about education for a minute. Um, you know, you, you were just talking about eight to nine million new gun owners. I've, I've, I may have mentioned it on here, but you know, for somebody that wanted to get education or, you know, you, there's things online that people can find all the time, but where would you send somebody? If somebody said, Scott, man, I'm new, never shot before, you know, I want to learn how to use this pistol or this rifle that's in my house. I would say like for, there's a lot of new places that have popped up that do like defensive training and different things that way. My recommendation would be to go to a local dealer, like a mom and pop dealer and talk to them and find out who in that area is proficient in training. Because that's the one thing I wish like some of our organizations would do better is list these resources, you know, have a spot for a new gun owner to go to that all this would be available for them, but it's, I haven't found that spot yet. But a lot of times just going to a local range or to your local dealer, they'll know who the certified instructors are, who's running class. And they'll be, probably be able to tell you who, you know, who the good ones are from the ones that are just trying to make money, do, you know, looking for a cheap dollar. Yeah. No, I think that's great. And then. Think... Go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say, and then the big thing after that is obviously it's tough with the ammo shortage right now. But then don't just make it a one-time thing. You know, it's like, you know, in your guys' world, you can't just go to the gym one time, learn everything, come back a year later and expect to know how to squat perfectly from that one time in the gym where you had a world-class trainer. You know, you have to keep putting in work and being familiarizing yourself with it. Shit, that's exactly how I felt with, like, the scope. And I mean, the, the world of just learning the scope was so much knowledge. It, I hadn't shot a, a rifle since two years ago, Winter Strong. So like when I was out there, uh, I forget his name, but uh, he was from like the sniper school and he was helping talk about like shooting with like the scope on the rifle. I was like, man, this is like all so new to me again. Like, and we just went over this like a year ago, but yeah, that's 100% for somebody like myself who doesn't shoot a rifle all the time. Yeah. You're not going to remember those sets and reps for sure. And I don't know how you felt about that, but the one thing that's cool about that event and the other thing I'd recommend is find a place you can ask questions Yep. because, you know, there were some of the best sniper instructors around that were at winter strong, but I don't think anybody felt out of place trying to ask. There was no question that was either too dumb or no, they weren't intimidated. Mm-mm. No, they wanted to help and they understood that people were brand new to it. Sure. And that's what I'll recommend too to a lot of people is ask questions. Because if you find the right instructor, they're going to be willing to answer those without making you feel, you know, like you've just asked a stupid question yeah. or you don't belong here kind of thing. Or yeah, you don't belong or, you know, it's because it can be a very intimidating thing going to learn, going to a range for the first time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I think um, I can relate that to one of the things that I mentioned on a podcast a few episodes back with um, John Salter and Joe Selecki, and we were talking about um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And so it's kind of a very similar thing to that that I've experienced. You know, um, training and, and learning how to shoot with the guys that I do it with who have all been doing this their entire life, spent years in the military, um, you know, running sniper platoons and other things like that, learning from some of the best guys on the planet that you can learn from to do this. There's no egos there. You know what I mean? Like I've never went to a range with, with, with those guys and felt, you know, like out of place or felt like I couldn't ask, you know, a certain question. And I think that's, I think it's really cool what guys like, you know, my buddy Tony, the guys out in Utah, like Mike Glover and things like that, that have started these businesses who have focused on training these new gun owners and, and running beginner courses and and not just with firearms, but with survival skills, period. 
I think it's super fucking cool. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. And if you encounter somebody that does have a big ego, more than likely it's because they don't know their stuff. Right. So they're trying you to, know, yeah. So they're trying to whatever, you know, <laughs> snow you through or buffalo you through it because they don't know their stuff. Where like those guys that we encountered at Winter Strong, they know their stuff so well that they can take you from the ground up into all the mechanics. Sure. I think it's awesome. Well, man, this you was know, that great. kind of goes back to your, well, I was going to say that goes back to your very first question is, you know, like for that small, for a small business owner, find people that are experts in where he wants to be. Yeah. And just ask questions. I was so afraid to ask questions when I was younger because I, especially like if it was a firearms related question, I'm like, well, I grew up in this industry. I should know that. I'm not going to ask. I, yeah. So I would, I would be that guy at the show that would, you know, just make up crap to get through an answer. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't until maybe five, 10 years ago that I was willing to say, I don't know. I'll have to go ask somebody that does. No, I agree. Totally. I'm, I beat my head against the wall to try to keep myself in that mindset and that perspective. I still do it now. Um, you know, matter of fact, last week I had a phone call with a guy from Jersey Mike's really big guy in their corporate office. So anytime I can get in a room with somebody like that, that's, excuse me, um, not only in the food business, but in the franchising business, man, I'll sit there and I won't say a word. I'll just listen. I think that's the best, um, best tool you can have. Yeah. And it seems like that's gotten, if, if you're open to it, it's become much easier to do that now with social media and meet people and do different sure. things than ever before. Yep. It's just a matter of being willing to not be admit nervous. that you don't know. Yep. Or not be nervous to just throw out a line and see who's going to be the nice person to, to actually answer it back. And you'd be surprised like how many people will actually answer you back. Like, like if somebody were to ask you a question on Instagram, like I guarantee you're going to answer it back the same way like Don is like, but some people are just so nervous. Like, Oh, I can't ask him. Like there's no, no chance they're going to respond. Well, yeah. They get intimidated. Yeah. You might be, might be surprised. Yeah. It's funny you said that. Cause even when we went to winter strong, the, the crew that I brought down, they were super nervous about going. And I said, don't worry. You'll feel like you're at home an hour after we're there. Yep. <laughs> and by the time we left they're they're like, that was the coolest thing I've ever done. <laughs> I do that sometimes. I mean, I, I, I go to those events sometimes and, um, I did it a little bit at summer strong this year, but nowhere near as much. But like, you know, at winter strong, when I went there, I knew maybe a half a dozen people. And I knew them from meeting them at Summer Strong the year before, but you get you get around people like that, and you don't have to be into like you can just walk up and strike a conversation nine times out of ten, you know. Whereas, you know, you get to you get in some environments where that's not the case, but yep, it was really cool. So no, it was. We enjoy it down there, and I wish I could have been at Summer Strong. I had planned on it, but then had another commitment come up that I had to go to. But next year I'll go there, and then I'll be that—I'll be the nervous one that's completely out of place. <laughs> nah. Well, man, this was great. Um, before we wrap this up, I kind of want to do something new that I've never done before. And I was thinking about this before we came in here and did this. You know, we've been doing—we've been—we've done a lot of cool interviews in the last year, but I don't think we've ever tried to get to know like the personal side. Of the, of the person that we interview, right? And we talk about what they do, their business, maybe their brand and things like that. But, you know, from like on a personal level, you know, I've never really asked personal questions. So like, I just have, I have two of them. You know, what, are you reading any good books? It always kind of uh, enlightens right me. Like like if, if somebody's reading a good book I don't know about, I want to know, you know yeah. what I mean? Well, right now I'm reading Winning by Tim Grover. Me too. Halfway done. Yeah. Makes me feel like I'm not getting near enough done during the day. <laughs> <laughs> I, I make the mistake all the time of picking that book up as I'm laying in bed trying to go to bed. And then I'm like, I'm like, like I snorted an eight ball and I'm staring at the ceiling. Like, that was a dumb <laughs> idea. I shouldn't have read that book right before I went to bed. Read so it at I, the beginning of the day. Yeah. I need to, <laughs> I need to reverse it and then like read it while I'm drinking coffee. But then I get yelled at by my wife cause I'm not talking to her. So it's a good book. 
Yeah. Very good. It's book. a good book. And I'm just like you because I grew up in the eighties and nineties when Jordan was playing who he coached sure, or who he trained. So there'll be a story or something in there about something that happened. And then I'll get all fired up and I'm like, I can't go to bed now. Yeah. It's. I agree. My, uh, my second one is what is one thing you're doing outside of the things that you mentioned earlier from like you guys' mission and, and, um, um, you know, like the mission of your brand, what's one thing you guys are doing that your competitors aren't doing that you feel like your competitors aren't doing? I feel like one of the biggest things is going to events like the Arte summit or winter strong, you know, because our industry is bad. We all market to the existing gun owner or, like the term a lot of people use, like the tactical guy that's in his cargo pants. He's got his magazines. You know, he's got everything ready to go. Yeah. But we've spent a lot of time trying to find like those fringe type events where we can go meet and learn, A, learn marketing like from other businesses that we can bring back to the gun industry. But then also, you know, there's a big market out there of gun owners who don't look like your typical gun owner. Oh, for sure. And I feel like us going to a lot of the fringe events events and networking on that side of it is something that a lot of our competitors aren't doing. You know, and that's not, they'll do a lot of like the competitions and different things that way. And that's not saying we're going to abandon those, but I've made like, you know, I hate to keep going back to winter strong, but I made more connections and, um, friendships, relationships, business contacts through doing that the last two years, then a lot of times I will at a actual shooting event. I would call that working on the business and not in the business. Which is a lot of times it's easier said than done to do that. Very much so. You're, you're, I'm not going to throw stones in a glass house. You're, you're absolutely right. It's very hard to do. I'm as guilty of anybody doing that. I'll sit down and start answering emails. No, I'm working getting a lot done, but it's not really working on the business. It's just getting some busy work done, which has to be done. But sure. at the same point, you know, these events where you can go out and learn and network and to me are invaluable. Agree 100%. Yep. Well, man, thank you. This was awesome. Well, thank you guys. It's good having you. Thanks, Scott. Good to see you again. See you guys uh, soon. Hopefully, sometime. Yeah, buddy. We got to get out to your your neck of the woods. Yeah, you're. uh, Before we jump off, Scott, tell people how they can find you, man. They can. I'm just Scott Volkortson on Instagram. Our company is uh, Volkortson underscore Firearms. Or the easiest way is if you just if you can spell it, just Google Volkortson V O L Q U A R T S E N, and everything that we do comes up. Guys, I can't tell you like these rifles are they're pretty they're and i say pretty i mean and i'm not not being funny they are very nice looking designer rifles they're awesome looking i can't wait to get my hands on one but they're cool you won't regret it well thank you guys awesome man all right guys till next time